welcome. Thank you for coming today. I appreciate that very much. I'd like to send a greeting to all of our campuses. We welcome you to our live stream audience and those that eventually will hear this on podcast. I was reading the Bible. I do that now and then. And uh, there was an interesting note that I saw in the New Testament that when they would write churches, they always kind of mentioned something nice about them. I thought, wouldn't that be fun here to do that today? Like, like greeting to the church at Lakewood. I see your lamps on your stage. May they shine, you know, uh, all across the land. Uh, if you've ever been to Lakewood, they've got all these lamps on their set. And, uh, they're the new ones to the church at Lakewood. You are the new ones. We're the, the, the new child. What about Castle Rock? They write to the church of Castle Rock, if you've been there. To the church at Castle Rock, I think they would write, you have many children, many youth running all over. We congratulate you on that. We are grateful for that. To, to the church at Castle Rock with the neat, cool coffee bar, more cool than any other church. To the church at Highlands Ranch, the church of love and warmth, the church that spends 15 minutes greeting one another. Today, give each other a holy kiss. To the church here at Lone Tree. The original. The live. That's all I got. And my new favorite, to the church of live stream. Today, there are many of you. Little did I know 38 years ago when I started a full-time ministry that one day I would be preaching to people in their pajamas. <laughs> I really didn't know that. So all you guys on live stream, get you something uh, nice and hot to drink and cozy up next to your screen, whatever that be, a computer or TV, and enjoy this because God really has something. Hey, like I said, we're in the last uh, weekend of this message uh, series on Moses. Has it been good? Some great preaching throughout this. I want to say Pastor John started us off with a very powerful message and then followed up with Pastor DJ and then last week with Pastor Stalker. Each one of those had a very unique, specific thing. You know, we could preach all year on Moses. There's so much here. But each one of those. So if you have not heard any of those messages, go online uh, and download that podcast. I think that you'd get a, a lot out of it. So what are we going to do today? We're going to talk about Moses. Man, you guys are really with me today, I'm telling you. <laughs> His Miracles and Mistakes is the title of this series, so we're going to take a more close look at that. His, his grand scale of mistakes, his grandness of miracles. And when you read the account of Moses, you see both of those in a big way. But you know what? Part of Moses' story is ours as well. Anybody here ever make a mistake? Okay, all, all yeah, three of you. The rest of you are just big liars. No. How many ever had a moment in your life where God worked in a miraculous way, where you experienced in something bigger than yourself? Pastor John started this series with this quote in a question related to what's in your hand. I like that. I've been thinking about that ever said that. It's interesting that in Moses' life, his greatest and worst moments, he had a staff in his hand. Think about that. So I'm going to use, uh, I brought my own staff today. I, I don't have a staff here at JFC. So I have my own staff, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this today as a prop, okay? So if anybody on the front row is sleeping, uh, I, I also have a little aid in that, all right? So I'm going to try to connect this to the story today. Theodore Roosevelt was quoting a West African proverb, you probably know it, speak softly and carry a big stick, all right? I, I don't know if I'm a soft speaker, but I really want, and my heart is today to speak strong words softly, but I'm still going to carry the big stick. I can imagine somebody walking in tomorrow with the daylight savings time and uh, they come in late and they see the pastor walking up here with a stick. What, what are they thinking about with that? They, they're going to turn around and leave as well, but ushers don't let them out. We're going to look at the scripture reference from the record of Stephen in the book of Acts. Moses spans great many chapters and books in the Bible, but this one is a concise story from the book of Acts. Stephen is being confronted and soon will die and he's asked, about his uh, idea of Moses and of God, and they, they framed him. They just pretty much said, you know, Stephen is saying the wrong things about Moses. So they were uh, bringing false witnesses against him. And so I find this story very concise and very uh, clear in what he says about Moses. So we're going to use that uh, with our uh, reference today. First of all, I want to say today that born for God's plan and purpose 
In Acts, we begin with chapter 7. You have your notes if you'll take those out. If you're online, you can download them as well. At that time, Moses was born a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months. When they had abandoned him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Now, when you go back and read this whole story in the account of Exodus, I want to ask you one question. Moms, help me out on this. How many things could go wrong with this plan? Think about that. Little three-month-year-old baby in a wicker basket filled with some kind of a tar. Already, it doesn't look like a good plan, does it? You know the Nile is filled with crocodiles. As a matter of fact, one of the largest crocodiles in the world is in the Nile River, 20 feet long. Snakes, over 15 varieties of venomous snakes in the Nile region, and hippopotamuses. You know that more people are killed by hippopotamuses in the Nile region than lions and anything else? Very dangerous. Now, Mom, how many of you would have been comfortable just saying, I'm going to trust God on this one. I'm going to just float my little baby out there in this little wicker basket. Now, let's just see what happens. She had great faith. Already God had a plan. Already God was working. Already God had put a piece in her heart where she was willing to float her baby out in a river that had all sorts of dangers. I think there's something interesting about that moment in his mother's life. Because I think it's relevant to us so often today is that we're holding on to something precious and God wants us to just float it out there and trust him. How many of you are willing to let go? You see, everything had to work out perfectly for God's plan to work. And I think about us today and I wonder how many things that God puts in place and works through that we can see God's plan come to being. How many things could happen in your life that could actually derail God's plan? You're here today. You are a miracle of God and his plan is at work. And this is a moment for you that he has decided to speak to your heart about a plan and a purpose for your life. We are all called by God for a plan and a purpose. Nobody here is without that. You weren't just born out of an accident. God had a plan and a purpose for you. So today what you decide to do with that word and that plan is a very important choice. You see, I think everybody here is a miracle. I think everybody here has a purpose. And the calling that God gives all of us here is bigger than us. And he's going to take a mother who's willing to float her child out. And he's going to protect the child. And he's going to put that child in the home of a Pharaoh and be raised for God's plan and purpose. How big is that? God can use us, though, in spite of our flaws. And I'm going to carry that thread throughout this message today. I, uh, I had a very amazing, unique, supernatural experience as a 15-year-old boy. I was raised in the church my parents came to know Christ when I was three years old and started going to a little Pentecostal church down off Broadway. Eventually, they moved out to Green Mountain. We started going to a little AG church, Assembly of God church there called Lakewood First Assembly. And I grew up in the church. And if you grew up in uh, Pentecostal churches, you had church almost every day. You had prayer meeting, everything. So I, my life was built around church and sports. And so I had a chance to really just get infiltrated with the idea of what church was about. And I remember being 15 and we had a missionary come and typically missionaries have great missions and great stories, but, but a lot of times their stories aren't that riveting. And as a 15-year-old boy, you tend to kind of doze on a Sunday morning and I just kind of was just hanging out during the message. But at the end of the message, he asked us to stand and he asked a question. He said, how many of you here would just give your life in service to God? I hadn't heard a message. I was, I was waiting for snake skins to come out on the altar and all the cool slides and I wasn't tuned into his message, but man, I'm telling you right there, God just spoke to my heart. And I just knew something was drawing me. And his response was, come down, they had little wooden uh, altars, and just make that commitment to God today. And I, I just found myself drawn to that, and I came down, and I knelt at that little wooden altar, and I just said, God, I don't know all what this means, but I give my life to you. Now, I've had in my life, some very amazing supernatural experiences. 
And if you're here today and you've never had that or you're kind of new to this God thing, God still works and God still moves. And I had an experience that I couldn't even describe in words, but it felt like when I said I surrender to God, like this cold, just thing, just like literally just hit me on the head and just slowly go through my body. And it was the most amazing thing. It just, it just, and I just wept. I got done praying and I got up and nobody was in the church. Everybody had left. But see, I was raised in a church that taught a lot about the rapture. <laughs> First thing I did, went out to our little lobby. We had a rotary phone there. How many remember rotary phones? I dialed my, my, my folks number and my mom answered. And I was so relieved because I know she wasn't going to miss the rapture. Now, Dad might have been a different story. But anyway, <laughs> I said, Mom, what, what, where are you? She said, well, you were just really praying and just really seemed to be connecting with God. We, we went home. We figured you'd call. You came and got me. That changed my life. Every decision from that point on, I decided to make my decisions based on God's plan for my life. And the Lord all along had been preparing steps even before that moment that shaped me in where I would go to college, in all sorts of things in my life, in experiences of developing leadership in youth ministry and children's ministry, way back when God was already at work, shaping my life for everything that he was doing. Now, I know you're thinking, well, I didn't have an experience like that. God won't work in your life the same way as my life or anybody else's, but God has a plan for you. And God wants you to know that plan and wants you to understand what that purpose is for your life. Moses' life as a whole wasn't literally a miracle a minute kind of a story. As a matter of fact, if you look at the scope of 120 years, there were some pretty amazing miracles, but it wasn't kind of an everyday thing. And we look at the context and the stories and the movies of bam, 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 all these miracles happening all the time. Well, it really wasn't that way. But there were moments where these great miracles would come. And he had high moments and low moments. And those are the things I want to focus on today. But most of all, we have the man Moses, the man, the humanity, and his experience with an amazing God. Now, if I was a rapper, I, my version of this message would be Yo-Yo Momo. <laughs> Take a minute, it's... Yo-yo, Momo. That didn't go as good as I thought it might, but anyway. <laughs> Actually, his life was really a pretty amazing roller coaster of encounters with God. And even in the plan and the purpose for God, there were moments where you began to think this might not happen. There were things that happened in his life. And we come to this story with Moses looking at all of our stuff, all of our mess, all of our failures, thinking, I can't ever have a plan or a purpose like that. I can't ever be a man like Moses or a person like Moses. But the fact is, is that God works in amazing ways. Not only is God great, but God is loving and good in our shortcomings and in our failures. So point number two, we get into trouble when we take over God's plan. I'm going to kind of give a little rhyme here. I'm silly at this, so if it's stupid, just kind of amuse me and smile. Uh, I'm adding to every point just something that rhymes. This one I'm going to call my plan because it's all about me and my selfishness in this phase. And then we see that in Moses' life. In Acts chapter 7, we pick up the story. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was powerful in both speech and action. We're told that Moses actually led Egyptian armies into battle and victory. One day when Moses was 40 years old, he described or he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. Now, Here's his bad moment. Back then, a lot of the princes, a lot of the rulers carried a scepter or a staff. It wasn't wooden. It was probably of precious metal. And it, it signified authority and power. And I guarantee you, Moses hops on his chariot, heads down over to Hebrew town, sees what's happening with all the Egyptians, his brothers. And he's inflamed with this striking of this Hebrew. And he took a stick 
or his scepter, and he beat this Egyptian. If you read the story, it actually says he looked around. In my book, that's called murder. It's premeditated. And the cause was right, the cause was good, but in essence, what Moses did is says, I'm going to take and do God's work for him because of this call and purpose in my life. And so he beat the Egyptian until he killed him. Got rid of his body. Not a great moment in his life. Why do I tell you that? I know a lot of people here are saying, I've done some really bad things in my life. I, I don't think God can use me, Terry. I, I, I don't think that, that his plan and purpose can ever happen because I've done these things in my life. I don't know if there's any murderers here. I hope not. I'm keeping the stick with me just in case. Okay? I know we got security, but just want to cover all the bases. Pretty bad thing. Truth is, all of us have had pretty bad things in our life. Even pastors. Even people. And so what it was in his hand that God will eventually use as a tool of ministry became a murder weapon. Here's what I want you to see in this story. Moses, his my time, 40 years raised in the courts of an Egyptian pharaoh. He had it pretty good. And everything about his life was about his wants and desires. Now, anybody here, if you had 40 years of catering to your wishes and desires, would anybody here question the idea that you might be a little selfish? You doubt that? All the things that came into there. Now here's also from scripture, he was trained in the ways of the Egyptian world. He was well-educated. He was a military general. He had all these perks of being a prince. But you know what happens to us when we're very successful and we're looked up to and we're admired? We get a little proud. And this pride begins to set in. We start believing the press reports. We start believing the words of adoration. We start walking around thinking we're pretty big stuff. And it's in that moment when we start taking into our own hands the plan God has for us and working hard at making it happen. Because you know what? Anybody ever in a place where God wasn't moving along quick enough? Anybody ever been in a place where you wondered, you know, God, this is the calling. This is the plan. This is the purpose that you gave to me. There's something very, very important to get here. If you try to do God's work in your human ability, you're going to make a mess out of it. Scripture tells us the result of a human effort to do God's work was death. You know that flesh and sin always leads to death. The flesh that you allow, the things in your heart, the things that you allow surfacing, whether it's pride or bitterness or or immorality, whatever those things are, if you allow those to take root and to lead you and, and then to come to the place where you're thinking God's okay with that, you're going to have a lot of problems. What are you trying to do today in your ability to make God's plan work? I'm going to interject in the message some ways that you can respond today. At all of our campuses, all kidding aside, we have places of crosses what do those represent? Well, if you're here and you know Christ, they represent death. It's reading in Galatians, the Apostle Paul writes, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. I want to plant a seed today. At the end of our service, when we worship and we have a response time, if there's flesh in your heart, if God's shining his light, and there's pride, or there's bitterness, or there's unforgiveness, or there's immorality, or whatever flesh that you have allowed to take root in your heart, take it to that cross and write on a piece of paper. And you don't have to write it if you're not comfortable with it, but write flesh, write self, whatever it is, and pin it to that cross. And you and Jesus meet there for a moment and crucify that flesh right then and there. Point number three, when you mess up God's plan, I love the inside of this, you run to a foreign place. This is my fly plan, rhyme number two. This is when we book. This is when we head out of Dodge. Acts tells us the next day in chapter 7, verse 26 through 29, he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? 
But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you ruler and judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. If you read in Exodus chapter 2, there are three interesting things that happened in this moment in uh, Moses' life. And we take that from the scriptures and his comments. The first one is that he was surprised. Exodus 2 says, he says, look what I've done for you. Anybody ever had that happen where you think you're really doing something good? You know, maybe in your marriage, husbands, your wife, you think you've done really something nice and you come in and you say, hey, look what I've done for you. And they look at you like, what? And then what do you do? You get mad, say something mean to her and you get a big fight and all that good intentions that you had are gone. There are a lot of times in our life where we're walking around and we're surprised. We think that we've got it all and we offer it. Look what I've done for you. The second was confused. He said, I thought the people would understand. Another place that many times we end up confused, wondering, you know, I thought they'd get it. And the last was fear. The Hebrew said, do you want to kill me too? The scripture says, hearing that he went as fast as he could. Amazing. The sad reality is that when we take it into our own hands and we make a mess of it, we go to stage two of mess. And we begin to justify it. We begin to try to rationalize it. We begin to try to make it all work out. And eventually we come to this place where it's time to fly. It's time to get out. It's time to run. In my ministry, I've been so blessed. God has been so good to me. I've had so many great experiences over the years. So many great things. But people look sometimes at our pastors, our leaders of all of our campuses and our ministry leaders, and we look at their lives and we, we see maybe a persona that you're perceiving as, man, they've got all this God thing all together. They never have any problems. They never struggle. You know what? We're like Moses. We put our robe on one leg at a time. That's a sports analogy for you ladies that maybe have your husband or brother or somebody explain that to you. The idea is that we're all human. We all struggle. We all face this stuff. And even in ministry. See, I had this great, amazing, supernatural calling. You would think that out of that, there would be no problems. You would think that I would just fly in the ministry and spend the rest of my life just happy and not having any problems. Went to Bible college in Texas. That getting there was a miracle. I had an opportunity of scholarship to go to Azusa Pacific. Turned that down. Went down to this little Bible college south of Dallas. Had I known how hot Dallas was, I might have really rethought that. First day I meet this cute little spunky girl. Little did I know a year later would be husband and wife. God had a plan and a purpose. Couldn't have found a better woman to go through this journey with me. All the years of problems and issues were still clicking on for what God wants to do in our lives. So I thought I'd get a degree there, and honestly, it wasn't a great education. And after a year and finding out from my wife that she wouldn't let me be playing basketball the next year and her supporting me, don't know what went wrong there. We moved back to Colorado, uh, the church we grew up, the pastor said, hey, why don't you come and just work with our youth, our teenagers? And they, they, they gave us a little apartment on the edge of the building. It's actually still there in Lakewood. Uh, Colorado Christian University used it now as their music center. But in the corner, they had a little apartment. Was that an adventure? There's a whole nother bunch of stories with that room. Little tiny kind of living room and two little tiny bedrooms, and a little kitchen. But we thought, man, that's awesome. We're in the ministry. We're pastors, you know. So we started working with youth and had great, great time there. Kids just growing and loving God. And that pastor went on to another church and another pastor came on and he was just a hoot and said, hey, why don't you stay here and do this? You're doing a good job. We like what you're doing with the kids and our kids are youth age and they like you. And, you know, if your pastor's kids like you, it's always a good thing. All right, so we went through that, and his wife didn't like being in Colorado, so she said, that's it, we're moving back to Oklahoma. About a year or so, they're gone. New pastor comes in, great pastor, good man of God comes in, sits down with us and says, hey, here you're doing a great job, uh, but we want to go a different direction. I'm young. I'm still, 
I'm still in my 19, 20-year-old range. That crushed me. I mean, my thought was, man, I'm, I'm kicking this for you, man. It's doing good. We're really touching these kids' life. And he pretty much just said, I want to go a different direction. Now, certainly now as a pastor with experience, I understand what that meant. It wasn't personal, it wasn't, but I took it personal. And I got mad at God. So I got this, this really fine job working at this establishment here in uh, town called 7-Eleven. I can tell you horror stories about that experience down on Federal and Alameda. Do I look like I was ready for that? <laughs> Tough neighborhood. Man, I saw it all. And I'm not kidding you. I saw it all. Scary place. Truth is, I was mad at God. And out of my bitterness and anger to God, I just said, forget you, God. I didn't say that to anybody in my heart. I said, forget you, God. This whole ministry plan you had is out the door. I'm now at 7-Eleven dealing with a bunch of crazy people at night. Graveyard shift, mind you. Let me tell you what happened in my heart in that time. I got away from God. I got distant from God. And because it was graveyard shift, I had a good out for not going to church. Never a good thing to start missing church. Just got away from God. Finally got out of that job, got another job I liked. Um, just a neat, neat experience for a young guys, putting in car stereos, and I love that, and all that kind of stuff was fun, and had a good job. We actually moved to uh, uh, Inglewood and had a neat little place there, and life was going good, and, but my life spiritually was not going good at all. It was really not going good. It was a dark place spiritually, and here's the neat thing. God has a plan. God has a purpose. In the middle of my rebellion, in the middle of my bitterness and anger to God, one day, as clear as I'm standing here, God spoke to my heart and said, move to Texas. Now, my wife's from Texas. Her family's there. I thought, well, her dad can get me a job. He worked at a manufacturing company. I could get something on there, probably make him more money. But I knew God was speaking, so told my mom and dad we're heading down to Texas, their first little grandbaby. They weren't real happy about us heading out of town with that little bundle of joy. Me and Brenda, they could care less, but the grandbaby, you know. Loaded up our car, headed down to Texas. Okay, back before sticky notes, you'd tape a note. And so we get there, and on the phone, it was a Sunday afternoon. I remember it was in June. We go down there, and this note was on, call this guy. His name was Paul Van Winkle. Anybody named Paul Van Winkle, that's not a real name, I'm telling you. Brenda's got some relatives that are little jokesters. I thought one of them played a joke on us, you know. So I call it, and this guy, this really crazy, gravelly, deep, weird-looking sound and voice, and I thought it was a joke, but he said, I want to meet you for lunch tomorrow. And so I thought, okay, we're going to get there. One of Brenda's, you know, nutty relatives is going to be there, and we're going to, you know. So we show up in this little round rotan. He was as wide as he was tall. Everything on him was round. Big round head. He was one of those guys that parted his hair right above his ear. It was so cool. <laughs> so we're sitting there, and, and, and we met, and we had lunch, and he bought us lunch, and he told us a horrible story. But, but listen to this. He had a youth pastor that had been sleeping with girls in the youth group. A whole lot of immoral things were taking place, and obviously they let him go after they found all this out. Now, here's the neat thing. God has a plan. God has a purpose. He golfs with a pastor who knew this person, who knew that person, who somehow inadvertently said, this young couple from Colorado is moving down. That became told to this person, and that became told to this pastor who was golfing with Paul Van Winkle. And when he heard that on a golf course, and I know this for a fact because God moves on golf courses. <laughs> he heard from God. He held his nine iron up and lightning hit it, and he heard from God, go get this couple. And he ran down all the numbers, and he left a message at Brenda's parents' house, call Paul Van Winkle. He asked us to come and meet with his board and so we, Tuesday night, met with his board, and Wednesday morning, we're sitting in the office as full-time youth pastors at a church in Texas. We've been working at a church ever since, never missed a day. <clears throat> now, here's the bummer in that. I was so mean to God. I was so angry to God. I was so far from God. He had a way to get through and to make everything fit for his plan. 
And there are so many in your life, understand, ramifications of God's plan and purpose. And you have to take that serious. And I don't care where you are today. I don't care where selfishly you're retreating and running to. But God has a plan. It requires dry time. And that's a desert. Acts tells us, 40 years later in the desert, near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And he went to take a closer look. The voice of the Lord called out to him. Now here he is, Moses. Guess what he is now? For 40 years, he's a shepherd. He's walking around this dry, dusty, hot desert, tending sheep. Now there's two ways to look at this story in Moses, and I really don't know which way to look. I have two opinions here. You see, either Moses liked being in the desert, and for this reason, he was able to avoid what God had called him to do, and he had made such a mess of it that he thought, I'm just going to hang out in the desert. We'll tend sheep, we'll eat, have a wife and kids, and we'll just live life. Or it's possible that God took him into the desert to change Moses. We know that happened. We see what took place there. Because Moses went from being somebody to nobody. Prince of Egypt is now a shepherd, the worst, most lowly profession in an Egyptian mindset. He's on the backside of a desert being a tender of sheep. What can God do in the desert? If you're in a desert today, here's what God can do. He can break you. There's brokenness that happened in Moses. There's humility that happened in Moses. This young, fiery 40-year-old that was going to do all of God's work, killing an Egyptian now, is so timid and so meek and so humbled. God will do that in your desert. And deserts are good. I was thinking about this. You know what happens? God has to get you out of the desert before he can get you out of the desert. You see what I'm saying? There's so much in us that God brings us through a desert time to work through that, to change us, to bring us to the place that he, what he wants to do. And that happens in a desert place. And we see at this burning bush, a different Moses. He's so meek. He's saying, God, I can't do that. I'm not able to do that. And the Lord took his staff and did some miracles there to convince Moses that with God, he can do all things. When it's God's time, my friends, he'll get you out of the desert. I've met Christian people over the years that just, oh, I'm in this desert time. It's a dry time. It's a hard time. Oh, God, get me out of this desert. Well, truthfully, God will get you out when it's his time. But if there's still stuff he's trying to do in you and through you, he's got you in that desert. And here's the other problem. If you maybe like the desert, if you're comfortable not taking the responsibility of God's calling and you're using it as a place to run, then God's going to bring to you something that's going to wake you up, get your attention. I think this, I don't even know how to put this. Some people are between this place of surrender and of self. I think some people, and I, I think I was looking at this this way. I think religious people sometimes like deserts. I, I, I think sometimes religious people like to hear a very strong message that gets in their face and tells them that this is the way God wants it in your life. And I think they like, they feel good feeling bad. Because guess what? They don't do anything with it. Oh, I felt so bad today. Thank you, God, for that message. You really spoke to my life. Hey, sheep, come on. Let's just stay in this desert. I believe today God wants to get a hold of our hearts and gets us out of this place of this religious kind of mindset where we're truly surrendered and our self is given over to God. For other people in the desert, God wants to get all of that self out of you because you still might have too much pride, too many other flesh things going on there. So God took a supernatural act and he moved, moved Moses to the next step of his plan. I want to ask you, would you need an amazing sign to get you out of the desert? Can you be open to that? I'm not being cute here, but in our response time, we have this place, these candles at all of our campuses, the Highlands Ranch at Lakewood, at Castle Rock, and here at Lone Tree. We have them as a place of prayer, and I, I find it's a great symbol of that flame. And if you're stuck in a desert, I want you to do something today at the end of this service. I want you to go and just take a moment with God and just open your heart up and say, God, I'm feeling I've been in a desert a while. What do you want to do? Is my pride in the way? 
Am I still selfish? Am I running from you? Am I hiding in this desert? God, speak to my heart. Now, I'm not expecting any of those candles to blow up and God's voice could happen. God could do that, but I'm not expecting that. But I'm expecting God to speak to your heart. So number five, God's plan. Get this. This is so important, people of God. God's plan includes miracles and messes. You see, we experience God in a great way and we think that's the norm, right? You get a healing, you get a miracle, you get God doing something amazing in your life and you wake up the next day thinking, I'm on the right train now. I'm on the miracle train. I'm going to book it with God. We're going to just keep going. And the rest of my life is just going to be this easy miracle train. And what happens? You get hit upside the head with something. You really think the devil's going to let you go through the rest of your life without opposition? Here's what I want you to see. In the last 40 years of Moses' life, the greatest miracles ever took place in his life, ever. Some of the greatest miracles of the history in the Bible took place in the last 40 years of Moses' life. But you go back and read the story in Exodus and Deuteronomy and all those. You want to see what else happened? The biggest messes. The biggest messes, the people that he took out of Egypt, out of slavery, were ornery. They were difficult. There were times where they were swallowed up in the ground. There were times where Moses had to say, God, don't kill them if you do take me to. I don't know about your leadership experience, but leading a group of people like that would have done me under. And I can tell you what, I'm not big enough or bold enough to ever think of anything beyond that. Acts chapter 7 again, 35 and 36. God sent back, listen, I love this. God sent back the same man his people had previously rejected. They demanded, who made you ruler over us? Through the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to be their ruler and savior. And by means of many wonders and miraculous signs, he led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, through the wilderness for 40 years. God took his shepherd's staff and that became an instrument of miracle after miracle above a sea where it parted and the water was parted and the land was dry. Throughout his 40 years of miracles, that rod, that staff became something that God used. And there's something important to understand how dependent Moses became to that staff that God was using in those miracles. It's amazing what we have, and John said it in the first week, what's in our hands God can use. What are you giving to God? What is God speaking to you about giving and what he has made available to you to use? I believe that God moves us to new spiritual places. I believe that God works in us. But I believe this, the greatest battles and victories that you will have in your faith journey are going to happen at the same time. And don't be surprised. With that miracle comes a mistake. With that miracle comes opposition. Don't be surprised. I'm really, really amazed how many believers come to me shocked that when God does something good and the enemy opposes them, they're wondering, where did that come from? Why did that happen? Too many Christians become confused and discouraged with that part, and they just don't understand God. Do you know that success and victory sets us up for temptation and defeat? Do you know some of the great preachers of history fell in immorality, in integrity, at some of the greatest heights of their ministry? Do you wrestle with that? Do you, do you wonder about that? I believe that God had to literally put Moses through a desert so he'd walk in humility. No matter how many spiritual victories you have, you are one lie of the enemy away from defeat or success and God's victory. We get lied to, we get schemes all the time, and you're only one lie away from missing God's plan. I will tell you this. In that little church, having a great youth ministry. Year and a half in, the pastor comes to me, began to feel like family with him. Three children were about our age, a little older. We were really connected, and he just came and said, look, I'm going to be leaving the church. 
I'm going to go up to this Fort Worth church. They need help, and I feel like I should go help them. Year and a half in, we're wondering, man, what does that mean for us? Another pastor come in to that very same church, asked us to be on staff. We just didn't feel that's where we wanted to be. God opened a door. We went to another and another. And it, a few years there, we really had a great time with working with youth. And I'm going to say God really blessed us. We had really good success. And I don't know how you look at spiritual things. And, and again, remember my frame of reference came from a Pentecostal church where you see a lot of good things, a lot of crazy things. But let me just tell you this. We were doing well and we had this great track record and we had opportunities to go to a lot of churches and we're at this church and we go to a youth camp and we're praying with kids and God spoke to us. I remember God speaking to me and said, get ready. I'm going to do a big thing in your ministry. Now, I'm still young. I'm still not very mature. I'm going to be honest. I kind of got excited about that. God actually did some pretty miraculous things at that youth camp to just reinforce that. We were still at this church. We came back thinking that that was going to be there. And soon after, this church invited us to come. And they had 17 kids. The church was about 600. They only had about 17 kids. Not a great youth group. And the Lord blessed that. Really, Literally, within a year, we had 150 kids. We were in this loft of a gym. And it was open. And they had this uh, ministry that we have here called Royal Rangers Missionettes. They were down the gym. Balls would come flying through, noisy. We built a wall there. We packed in these kids. I'm not, I'm not lying. We couldn't put chairs. There were too many kids. We'd stand up along the wall. They'd pack them in the chairs. We had an amazing worship band. So amazing that one day we experienced something that I'll never forget. If you ever wonder about heaven, if you ever wonder about eternity, we had this moment where literally God's presence came. And we were there worshiping, and it seemed like a second. It was like a half hour long. The parents were banging on the doors. Hey, let my kids go. Kind of like Moses. Hey, let my people go. We did not know what happened. I was mad at the parents because, man, we were experiencing something pretty cool from God. Let me just tell you, I was, I was, I was pretty proud at that moment. I, I was seeing some amazing things at that moment. But you know what I wasn't prepared for? I wasn't prepared for the lies and the temptation that came my way. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that, in the great success and God doing great things, I found myself wandering in my heart. I felt myself that in my heart that, God, you're good to me, man. You're rocking it. I'm above the rules. I don't have to walk the way that you've called me to walk. And I came to a place where I almost lost my marriage. I almost lost my ministry. God preserved me. God convicted me. God changed it. But it was one of the darkest times I've ever had in my life as a pastor. It was the only time. I'm a very optimistic person. And I understand people who get to this place of so much despair that they want to end their life. It was the one and only time, one night, I just wished I didn't live anymore. It was the worst night of my life. God redeemed that. But I was in a situation where my pride and God's success went to my head and I quit understanding that there has to be this awareness that the enemy's going to come. Please look at Scripture. Look at the great men and women of God. Look at their great miracles. And right after that, the enemy came with a huge test, with a huge opposition. It happens all the time. Be prepared. For that is God moves and God works. So last, let's finish with this. God's amazing plan of love and redemption. We win. It's called the die plan. Numbers. Going to go back to the original in the Old Testament. The Lord said to Moses, take your walking stick and you and your brother Aaron should gather the people. Speak to that rock in front of them so that its water will flow from it. Moses and Aaron gathered the people in front of the rock and Moses said, now listen to me. You who turn against God, do you want us to bring water out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and hit the rock twice with his stick. Water began pouring out and the people and their animals drank it. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me, because you did not honor me as holy before the people, you will not lead them into the land I will give them. Listen to this. For years, 
God took that staff in Moses' hand and did miracles with it. God spoke to Moses and said, Moses, you talk to the rock. You say to that rock, bring forth the water. What did Moses do? He hit it. He hit it twice. Now, I don't know and I can't judge, but I know me. I know if I was in that situation, I'd be thinking, woo, baby, let's do that again. Because he'd done that before. And they were angry at the people. They were whining and complaining again and again. And I think Moses just got fed up. And isn't it amazing how that pride still creeps back in no matter where we're at with God? How easy it is to miss God? Hey, wouldn't you think after all those miracles that it'd be pretty easy to believe God? Wouldn't you think that? Wouldn't you think it'd be pretty easy to say, God said, speak to this rock. You look at that scripture, he said, you did not believe I was holy. Holy isn't just about this kind of external. Holy is God above and beyond and majesty. In essence, Moses, you just didn't believe who I was and you should know who I was. I've met with you. I've been in the meet of tent, the tent of meeting. We've had, you know, face to face as far as God can go face to face. Why not just trust God and speak? Did he get too reliant on the instrument of God's miracle and not on the relationship with God? You see, sometimes, a couple things here, and I'm going to wrap this up. Sometimes God does a miracle in spite of us. God still gave a miracle even though Moses disobeyed. God still brought water out of that. And sometimes you may disobey and God is still going to do a miracle, but you're going to miss God. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, this part of the passage I have struggled with for weeks after weeks. I shared it with our teaching team, and these guys are phenomenal. We had a great discussion, and they gave me so much insight. They saw aspects of this that I was missing. So I want to pull all their collective wisdom and Pastor John's wisdom together and give you a couple things to wrap it up with here. First of all, God is not a formula. Maybe in your life God has done it this way again and again and again, but one day God is going to say to you, trust me, do it this way. He's not a formula. God, after all he had done, Moses lost that promise because of disobedience. He was supposed to take him into the land of Canaan. He is not going to get that opportunity. Here's the part that I wrestled with. You know what? He was disqualified. And I want you to hear this. Your disobedience will lead to consequences. God is good. God is great. He's loving. He's kind. But please understand this. You may not see that promise because of disobedience. And that's the part where I got hung up with these guys and we was talking about that. And this isn't a message about obedience. It's a message about the cost of disobedience. It will cost you. And sometimes in our church world today, we've got this whole get grace and grace. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But sometimes people just start assuming that they can do anything they want. God doesn't care. But there are consequences to disobedience. When you don't trust God, there are consequences. Here's what I want to show you, though. Moses wasn't going to get in the promised land, but what was he going to get? Moses, throughout his life in this time of miracle, in the last part of his life, had the most intimate relationship with God. Scripture says he knew God. He knew God. When you walk in that kind of intimacy with God, you have a greater responsibility you are not just some novice to Christianity. You're not just some new, immature believer. When you walk in intimacy to God, there is a price and a responsibility that you pay to whom much is given, much is required. Ultimately, though, what this whole story, at this part of Moses' life, it is about a relationship. It isn't about disobedience. It isn't about a miracle. It is about a relationship. There is a need on Moses' part to let go of what he trusted before and to trust God. Now, Moses wasn't forsaken by God. He just didn't go to go in the promised land. John shared this scripture. I thought it was powerful. He said in Psalms 103, he said, the, the, the psalmist writes, he made known his ways unto Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. Now, what does that mean? In your relationships, husbands and wives, brother, sister, whatever relationships, you're in the inner circle in that relationship. The ways of that life are made known. 
outsiders see the acts. He had this relationship with God. He knew the ways of the Lord. And that's why God couldn't allow him to walk away in that moment of disobedience without understanding, you did not trust me, Moses. We are tighter than this. You could have known that I would have made water come out of that rock just with your simple words. So here's where it is for us. Because I wrestled with this idea of disobedience. Am I just going to miss God's will for my life? The answer is not really. I will miss his purpose. I will miss some of his reward. But here's what it is. With Jesus' death and resurrection, all the rules changed. You got to get that. It all changed. The Old Testament, we were judged against the law and the punishment was death. Jesus took our punishment, our death, and gave us freedom. Now, there's still consequences to disobedience. There's still consequences to sin, but there's no more death. There's no more judgment of that kind of punishment. In Christ, Jesus died. So scripture says, I live, I'm restored. I may be disqualified, but I live and I have forgiveness in him. We may pay an earthly penalty, but we are loved. And with God, with us, there's just no question how amazing. Quick wrap up. Scripture talks about this intimate moment with Moses at his death, with God being there. And he took him, he said, look over there. There's the promised land. Moses, you can't, you can't go there. I do believe that Moses got it. I do believe Moses said, I get. But you being here with me at my dying moment, that's what it's all about. So I'm going to say this. And all of our campuses, our worship teams, if you'll come up. How do we respond? Every week, we have one of the greatest reminders of God's love and forgiveness with our ministry teams that stand holding bread a reminder of the broken body of Christ and a cup of wine or juice represents the blood of Christ that was shed. Sometimes, folks, we book out the door, we head to eat, we think it's too big a bother, but I want to challenge you today. It is a relationship with God that you have. You have been forgiven. The penalty of death has been paid. Would you say to God today how much you love him? by taking a moment at the end of this service to respond. For those of you struggling with flesh, you go to that cross, you write it on there, and you pin it, and you crucify that flesh. For those of you in a desert, would you come to a candle and say, God, is it your time? Is my heart right? Am I at a place where I can see your calling come to, be, to, come to being? Or for all of us who know Jesus Christ, we need to come to one of those communion stations and take that bread and take that dip it into that blood and, or that uh, wine that represents the blood of Christ and to just spend a moment there thanking God. No death to anyone here because of Jesus. We are free. We are alive because of him. Is that good news? Little ups and downs serving God, but with him, we can make this real. We can make this amazing. Let's stand and worship.